Hello, this is Peter Woolfolk. First, let me say thank you so much for being a listener. Now, I want to alert you to our shiny new podcast website located at podpage.com. However, you can go directly to the podcast site located at www.publicrelationsreviewpodcast.com. There, you can contact me through email. You can leave a voice message. You can leave a review. You can read an episode blog and frequently learn about the podcast guests. You might also want to suggest podcast topic ideas or even suggest a guest. You can also let me know if you would like to receive our podcast listener logo that you can post on your social media. So I look forward to hearing from you about our new podcast website, www.publicrelationsreviewpodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening to the Public Relations Review Podcast and have a great day. Welcome. This is the Public Relations Review Podcast, a program to discuss the many facets of public relations with seasoned professionals, educators, authors, and others. Now, here is your host, Peter Woolfolk. Welcome to the Public Relations Review Podcast and to our listeners all across America and around the world. Now, question. Are you or your company familiar with corporate social activism? Now, as a concept and a practice, it has been around for decades. Over the past few years, it has morphed into something much bigger with potential risk. However, it also offers great opportunities. So what is corporate social activism and how is it different from corporate social responsibility? My guest today has the answer to that question and much more related information. He is the Associate Professor of Practice, the Assistant Chairman, and also the Faculty Advisor for the Temple PRSSA, the PRL Public Relations, which is the student-run PR agency, in the Department of Advertising and Public Relations in the Klein College of Media and Communications at Temple University. So today, Greg Feisman joins me today from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So once again, Greg, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Peter. It's great to be here. So let's just start right at the top. Uh, what is corporate social activism? Great question. And what we, I believe we've seen is a, it's under the umbrella of corporate social responsibility. But we've seen over the last few years a really dramatic shift. And by that, I mean we're seeing more and more companies take an activist stance on corporate issues, or I'm sorry, on social issues, whether it's social injustice, discrimination of all forms, any real hot-button issue in society you can think of, uh, from, and from politics to, for example, the overturning of Roe v. Wade last summer. But we're starting to see that companies, silence is no longer a stance. It is a stance, but it's also a statement. And companies are under more and more public scrutiny to take a stance on social issues and explain their rationale for it. In my opinion, silence is no longer a, an answer or a viable response. What comes to, to my mind because I've had this experience is how does a company decide which one or several issues it will be, become active with or involved in? 
Right. That's a great question. That's what a lot of companies are, are struggling with. Obviously, you can't be involved with everything. There's a lot of great causes and issues out there. So the question is, you're right. How, which ones do we pick and how do we choose and you know what will happen if we choose a particular stance on an issue? Unless there's a personal interest from leadership on a particular issue, I think what most companies have to do is look at the wide range of issues and see what aligns with their values. Is it employee engagement and greater opportunities for marginalized communities among their workforce? Is it environmental? Is it governance issues? You know, the whole concept of ESG. But I think to go back and look at their values and then find an issue that they can support one side or the other. And it's tough. Uh, the other cautionary note is to not get your communications too far ahead. And this is one of the challenges for communicators. You know, there, there is a trade-off between corporate image and short and long-term financial impact. Image and finance go hand in hand. So what the public and constituents and stakeholders want to see is not just words, but you want to see action. What's behind those? But don't let your communications get ahead of the behaviors or the actions. Both CSR and CSA need to be strategic. And what I mean is somebody, someone must understand the independent relationships among a firm, its strategy, its resources, and its stakeholders that are in the firm's environment. Also understand the constraints you have to act on. You may be able to help address part of an issue, but not all of it. Uh, you may need allies and partners to do that. Um, so understand what the barriers are that you're facing. And there's been several studies around this over the last couple of years. But it, it is tricky. It, this is not this is something that cannot be decided overnight. It really has to be looked at strategically and through what your organization's own dated values are. Well, and I guess, again, it, it depends on really what the issue is because some, as you said, aren't that difficult to it makes a lot of sense and it fits within their their value or system and then others can be very very difficult i'm not sure exactly how long ago but i believe walt disney had a problem with the state of florida because they went against right. something the governor said i forget it had something to do with some gay activity down there i forget all the details of it but the governor i believe said he's going to withdraw some privileges or tax breaks or whatever and uh, if i'm not mistaken uh, disney stood their ground on that well, they did eventually. The The issue or the initial problem Disney had, because you are referring to what's known as the don't say gay bill in Florida. That's right. Mm -hmm. The original, the issue Disney originally had is they were silent on this. And their own employee base, which contained a significant number of members of the GLBTQ plus community, came out and pressured senior management saying, hey, this is affecting us. What is our employer's stance on this? And for a while, they were quiet mm -hmm. until literally there were protests in the streets by their own employees. And then they finally came out with a position, admittedly, you know, better late than never. Um, but it did conflict with the governor. And, you know, Disney is a huge employer in Florida. They own literally the middle part of the state of Florida, mm -hmm. what was once Swampland, <laughs> yeah. um, hugely influential, not just in the state, but, you know, internationally. And yes, they got into a spat with the governor. And, uh, you know, I don't believe that has been settled yet. I could be wrong on that. 
Um, but you're right. The governor then used, you know, retaliatory tactics, saying he was going to withdraw Disney's special status and would have, you know, Disney and the local communities would have to start paying for services, which the towns around Orlando got very upset because Disney had been paying. They would have to pay for water and power and things like that, and their budgets just didn't accommodate that. So it became a much, much more complex issue. And we've seen that on a bunch of issues. Um, And there are some companies who are incredibly progressive on this, and there are some who are still weighing what do we do and, you know, on, on what stance do we take on what issue. So so that brings up another question as I was listening to you, and it depends upon the company. How do they decide? So, so, some issues might be, you know, just straightforward, pretty simple. Let's say maybe you're being kind to animals or whatever that happens to be, but Suppose that there's some other issues that the employees bring to the corporate uh, the company's attention, and maybe the company is wavering on that. How do they go about making a decision? Should we or should we not move forward on uh, our involvement in this particular issue? Right. Well, again, I I would counsel leader senior leadership to what are your values? If you truly believe in employee productivity and happiness and the employees feel strongly about an issue, then you may have to seriously look at it because the risk, quite honestly, is to the bottom line. Mm -hmm. People have, over the last several years, I think there's more of an emphasis on people's personal values and their employer's values. Do my values align with my employer or my prospective employer? And if they don't, I'll go elsewhere. So it has a real bottom line impact on employee satisfaction, employee happiness with their job. We are living in an age where there is a huge hunger for talent. You know, employers cannot fill the roles that they have open. So it's highly competitive out there, which puts the employee, you know, kind of in in better negotiating power. I mean, the pendulum may swing back, but since the pandemic, employees have realized, hey, I, you know, I'm not working for a paycheck anymore. There are bigger things in life than just a paycheck. So, again, if you really value employees' input and view them as a critical stakeholder, then you have to listen to them. And if you're not going to take a stance on an issue they're concerned about, you at least have to explain why. Mm-hmm. You know, no, it's just not an answer anymore. So I, I guess the, the flip side of that coin is also is that the employees if they want their company to become involved, have to explain from their perspective why it is so important that they get involved. Because maybe exactly. it's not just the employees here, but employees other places, maybe around the country or wherever else might be, but this is an important issue that you should not take your eye off of. So they've that, got to That's exactly right. Okay. And it again, it ranges from political-type issues to things like DEI efforts. Mm-hmm. You know, are are you sincere? Are you actually providing opportunities for advancement for members of marginalized communities? Uh, there was a study done last year that showed that black consumers support companies aligned with sociopolitical issues, especially sincere DEI efforts. Mm-hmm. So again, consumers, employees, you know, in the end, we all get to vote with our wallet. And it's rare you find one company that is only... is. In their category, they're the only ones who are doing it. Everything is a commodity these days. 
So if I don't like what you stand for, I'll buy the product or service from your competitor. Mm-hmm. That's all. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned DEI. A couple of years ago, I did an article for our business newspaper down here about the benefits and why DEI was important. And I was able to do a little research to find out that how some companies used it, not only just in terms of dealing with people, but how it impacted their bottom line. Pepsi, for instance, and McDonald's, for instance, have gone out into various parts of the country, and there are some cultural menus or cultural items on menus that they replicated in their restaurants in that particular area, and it proved to be well worth their while doing so. Absolutely. Um, so there are a lot of different reasons that uh, people need to listen, but but they need to come to the table with solid benefits. How does the company benefit from this? And perhaps on the other hand, what are the downsides, uh, if there are some, to make sure that everything is on the table when you're negotiating whether to or yeah. not to participate? Right. And, and on a larger scale, there was an um, article in the October issue of Harvard Business School. And it, it, the study basically showed that people trust business. And the Edelman Trust Barometer that just came out recently also showed that the highest level of people's trust is with business. But... Given that trust, they expect CEIs to drive social change Mm -hmm. because the public perception is business has the resources to make a difference. So, all right, business, we're we're trusting you with our work life. We're trusting you with our consumer orientation. Now, what are you going to do about it? So, you know, this, this has gone way beyond the public relations world. And although we have a crucial role to play in it, but it's, it's really spread throughout the business culture. Again, whether it's ESG concerns or CSR, CSA, and we've also recently seen a bit of a pushback on things like ESG. Um, Again, pointing to Florida, the governor has uh, mandated that state investment cannot be in ESG funds. And And of course, that's very controversial. Well, you know, one of the things obviously that that the public has to do is keep their eye on things that that are taking place, and uh, as you said, uh, you know, bring it to the attention of the major corporations in that particular city uh, or state to uh, make sure that they take some t- take some action that uh, is favorable to the public to uh, to so that they can move forward. Yeah, and, and again, I I come back to if you want to get a CEO's attention this isn't just a nice thing to do or even the right thing to do. This has a bottom line impact. Mm -hmm. People basically want to do business with companies they feel good about. Well, if your values don't agree with mine, I'm not doing business with you. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, this, this is more than some esoteric notion like world peace. This (laughs) can affect your bottom line Mm -hmm. in a very real and concrete way. Well, let me say this, and I know they may be having some problems in some other areas, but one of the uh, companies since they've moved here probably in the last uh, three or so ideas is Amazon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm here in Nashville, Tennessee, and, and uh, Amazon awarded uh, Nashville some opportunity to, a lot of people came down, let, let me put it that way, uh, a lot of Amazon people came down. They put their names on a lot of different things, and Perhaps any and most of the nonprofit organizations, somehow or another, Amazon is involved, whether it's making a contribution, they're on their board, uh, having activities, whatever it happens to be. Amazon seems to ingratiate themselves into two communities once they show up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, you know, that's smart because we know that Amazon is under scrutiny. 
has been criticized for the way it has treated employees. There's a, there's a whole lot of issues Amazon is dealing with. So it is one of the ways to counteract that, although it doesn't address necessarily the way they treat their employees, but it is, you know, again, good PR practice or best practices says, you know, create allies in the communities you're doing business with, you know, because they will come in handy when you are facing a crisis. Um, because it's inevitable you're going to face a crisis. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, I I can't speak for all your listeners, but I think I'm like a lot of people. I have a love hate relationship with Amazon. <laughs> I love the fact that I can get whatever I want when I want. Right. <laughs> but I'm not thrilled with some of the way they some of their policies. Mm-hmm. So, you know. But let's put it this way, Peter. Amazon's not going anywhere. <laughs> so. Well, you know, they keep coming up with uh, new ideas that seem to work for a lot of people. I just saw something on the TV this morning where they've got this drug deal for uh, individuals, I think, who are prime members where you can get the, uh, you know, basic drugs for about $5 a month, something along those lines, which is a huge improvement on on some of the circumstances now. Sure. Well, and that's an illustration of business having the resources to actually do something. Mm -hmm. Government isn't going to do it, so private business has to do it. And I agree with you. I think it's a brilliant idea. And there are probably Amazon competitors looking at this going, why didn't we think of that? Mm -hmm. Um, But Amazon has the reach, has the strength, has the capacity to do this. So it's going to give them another niche market to reach into. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's that's just smart business. So circling back around to um, the uh, idea here is that particularly when it comes to um, employees that may want their uh, companies to uh, take some sort of action. Let's talk about how they need to prepare to come to the table to uh, persuade people in the C-suite that this is something that needs to be done. What sort of uh, information do you suggest that they be prepared to present as both pro and con so they're prepared for any sort of pushback? Or if not pushback, just basic questions. Well, I think like any business proposal, that's going to your boss. You have to start with the research. Mm-hmm. You have to show that this is an issue, whether externally or internally. You've got to have the data first to try and support your argument. Because again, if it's just a nice thing to do, chances are it's going to get dismissed. Mm-hmm. You have to show the, the data. You also have to show how this could impact positively and negatively, not only the bottom line, but employee retention and employee and prospective employee. You know, again, people are in a position where I can pick and choose where I want to go work. So again, if my values don't align with yours, I'm going to go work somewhere else. And I might be a really valuable employee to you mm-hmm. that you'll never have a chance with. I think also employees and, and lead, senior leadership have to look inward. If you have stated values, great. What have you done in the past? Okay, so for example, uh, companies have come out in support of Ukraine and their battle with Russia. Great. Absolutely. I don't know anybody who's against that. But what some companies have been criticized for is like, okay, great. Where were you when the Uyghurs in China were being suppressed? Mm -hmm. You know, and the the companies have to be honest. Yeah, you know, you're right. But. You know, we can't go back in time. we got to start somewhere, so we're starting with this. Mm-hmm. And come with ideas. Come with alternatives. Come with, with not just identify the problem, but you have to come with potential solutions. That creates the dialogue. Mm-hmm. Then you can have that discussion with senior leadership. 
but you know to storm in like a protest is just, they're not going to listen they're just you know come in make it reasonable make it show how it is doable maybe some policies need to be changed maybe procedures need to be changed or tweaked that's not a heavy lift and come in with possible solutions and start having that conversation it's not going to happen overnight but at least it starts the dialogue mm -hmm. and hopefully you end up in a place that both sides can agree with well and i think that's the information here the here the guidelines if you will for at least beginning to have that dialogue and and here's what you need to do for it to be a successful dialogue with hopefully with the outcome that that you want because uh, being in a business, people want to see, as you said, the data. <laughs> Let me see the data. How is it going to impact us, uh, both positively and negatively, and be prepared to to address those issues? I, I yeah. I mean, it's again, it's business one on one. You know, anybody who's been in business for any length of time knows this is this is how proposals are viewed. Mm -hmm. um, and again, you know, the answer may be yes, the answer may be no, but. Start the dialogue. Start the dialogue. And maybe it includes having a really uncomfortable conversation. Well, then you need to create a safe space to have those uncomfortable conversations. Mm -hmm. um, not Don't make it threatening. Make it constructive. Well, Greg, that's been an awful lot of information. Let me ask you, is there anything that we've left out in terms of uh, social activism that you think we need to know? Yeah, I, I think it's going to be more and more important, especially for professional communicators in the years ahead. This is a topic that's not going away. I think probably in the next few years, corporate social activism is going to be cross-functional. Um, it's not going to just rely on one area of a, of a company. It's going to be even more central to businesses. You can think of speaking out on issues as a force multiplier for what you're trying to do internally and and especially in business operations, for example, DEI efforts. Third, I think there's going to be more accountability to commitments that companies make. Instead of worrying about getting involved, you have to think, are you going to lose customers, employees, other stakeholders because you didn't get involved? There's going to be measuring of progress on issues, and I think more, organiza more organizations are going to follow the roadmap. We have to keep in mind when there's energy around an issue, when people are talking about it in the public space, that means change is happening. And leadership has to ask, do you want to be in the forefront of that change or do you want to be coming up the rear mm -hmm. of that change? My hope is more companies will want to be at the forefront of that change if for nothing else than business reasons, which is a good enough reason as it is. But I don't think this is going away anytime soon. I, I just think this is going to become more and more important and it's going to add to the list of responsibilities that public relations and communication practitioners have to have, which is both a golden opportunity and a challenge. But I also think if we don't take advantage of this opportunity, we're doing ourselves and our employers a disservice. Well, Greg, let me say thank you uh, so very, very much for imparting this, uh, this valuable uh, amount of information to our listeners about uh, corporate social activism. So I certainly thank you, and uh, I want my uh, I hope my guests have enjoyed this. My um, guest today has been Greg Feisman. He is the associate professor in the Department of Advertising and Public Relations at the Klein College of Media and Communications at Temple University. So, Greg, once again, thank you so very much for being a guest on the podcast. My pleasure, Peter. 
And again, to my listeners, if you've enjoyed it, we'd certainly like to get a great review from you. And also, don't forget to listen to the next edition of the Public Relations Review Podcast. Thank you. This podcast is produced by Communication Strategies, an award-winning public relations and public affairs firm headquartered in Nashville, Tennessee. Thank you for joining us. Hi, this is Peter Woolfolk speaking. Now, first of all, thank you so very much for listening to the podcast. Now, I am very excited to let you know that the podcast is now available on Amazon Alexa. You know the drill. Simply say, Alexa, play Public Relations Review Podcast, and she'll take it from there. And again, thank you for listening. And if you enjoy the program, please become a subscriber. Now, on to the podcast.